Nobody I find wakes up and ever turns around to me and says, oh, thank God I've got 5G. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely bang on. Welcome to Cloud Realities, a conversation show exploring the practical and exciting alternate realities that can be unleashed through cloud-driven transformation. I'm Dave Chapman. And I'm Shao Kazal. And I'm Rob Kernahan. And this week, we're going to be talking about cloud transformation in the world of telco, a complex industry with a large amount of legacy to transform. So what are the challenges there and are they any different to what we see in other sectors? Joining us this week is Jeff Hollingworth, Chief Marketing Officer at Rakuten Symphony a membership company that covers over 70 businesses, one of which is a cloud-native telco. So Jeff will be able to give us a perspective of what it's like on the other side of the cloud transformation change. Welcome, Jeff. Great to see you. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe a little bit more about Rakuten? Yeah, thank you for inviting me to take part. So my name's Jeff Hollingworth. I've spent my professional career in telecom for the last 30 years all the way back to uh, 2G, gone through all the Gs. It feels like you should have a badge for each of the Gs. I I think I should have a badge for each of the Gs, actually. Uh, The question is, what's going to be my last G? I think that's the most interesting question that we should ask. Right. What are you shooting for? (laughs) Seven, eight, nine? (laughs) The... uh, Certainly, certainly beyond five. Let's be right, right, right. by that. <laughs> I, and uh, I've joined Rakuten Symphony about 14 months ago. And Rakuten Symphony is bringing the whole internet software mindset to telecom and completely changing how we build telecom networks. And, and that's why I joined and that's why I'm so excited to be a part of this. Why don't we start with telco cloud generally? So if we could maybe set out uh, like an initial definition, Jeff, of what telco cloud is. Yeah, absolutely. And let me start by saying that I think telco cloud definition is very simple. It's cloud being done in telecom. Mm. It's very similar to uh, when retail, when Walmart does cloud, and do they call it retail cloud? And mm. financial sector calls it financial sector cloud. So one one part of the journey I think that we're seeing happen in telecom is actually the replacement of telecom being some kind of special industry that has special things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and rather it's adopting the uh, latest technology that all industries are now adopting. Because at the end of the day, I think the shift we're seeing is that literally every single business is becoming a service provider of some kind and and Mm. telecom is no different what are the sort of unique challenges of telecom and its move to cloud native for example well i think uh, one one aspect of telecom is it is uh, highly available and it's highly distributed in terms of the infrastructure footprint that it has and that's quite different from a lot of the other industries that have managed to adopt cloud in a very centralized way. Uh, what, one interesting perspective to view telecom with that might explain where we're heading in the future hmm. is that in actual fact, I think telecom has created for the last 40 years the first version of the metaverse. And hmm. what I mean by that is that 
the rollout of mobile created a real-time voice metaverse that we're all a part of. Uh, and we can see how that changed everything. And also you can see that it required all of the computing functions to be very distributed and at the edge. Right. But the way we had to build that traditionally for the last 40 years was in a very hardware-centric manual way. And what we are starting to do now is put cloud in inside that infrastructure approach to allow, rather than it being hardware-driven and hardware-centric, we can actually control it through software and in a highly automated, distributed fashion. And I think that's where telecom cloud is going to make the biggest difference. But we, we have, I think we have rolled out, I think we are the best example of what's required if you actually want to create a complete, ubiquitous, metaverse world. It's just we've done it with voice. We haven't done it with the XR and the VR. And within the industry itself, so within the telco industry, what's driving the change? Is it customer expectation? Is it, say, like end of serviceable life on the physical kit, which, you know, which is analogous to you know, a lot of the reasons people exit data centers, for example. What are the actual industry drivers that are, that are driving the change? The number one industry driver, I think, that drives change with, with the introduction of cloud is the extreme need for uh, large-scale automation and, and increased efficiency in actually mm. running the network. So for the last 40 years, as I said, telecom has physically picked up boxes and put them out and installed them with people, and they have come with software. And every 10 years, we put a new generation of that hardware in that comes with some more software, highly manual, incredibly slow. Mm. What we see now in 5G, and it's, it's actually part of the standards, is that you, you are installing generic hardware that, just offers very high-performance computes. And then cloud allows you to deploy the software on top of it in a highly efficient one-click manner. So in, for example, in Rakuten, who's I would say is the, the best example of the end state of this journey, uh, we only have 250 people looking after over 300,000 active cells covering wow. 98% of the Japanese population. Give us a sense of what that number would look like in a traditional telco, for example. Thousands to tens of thousands of people. Wow. wow. So it's the same. We is The journey that you go on is exactly uh, the parallel journey that AWS did to IT, where none of the people who actually use AWS look at the hardware anymore. They're all looking at the software console and the software platform, hmm. and they're programming algorithms to run the infrastructure. It's the same as financial trading, where, you know, in like 15, 20 years ago, there were people running around with bits of paper yeah. and manually trading. Nobody does that anymore. In high-speed trading, you look at the algorithm, you see the results coming back from the algorithm, and then you tweak your algorithm. So it's a very, you abstract away. And Jeff, from a perspective of, there's often somebody in the marketplace, like you've described, who does something very dramatic. So you can deploy this massive capability with limited people. 
in the traditional players, have, did they all wake up at the same time and go, oh, we need this? Or has there been a varying response level from those who are in the market and still have a traditional mindset to try and get to that new end state? Are they all moving at pace to do it? Or are there differing levels of adoption of cloud as they start to see it as the enabler for a hyper-efficient way of operating a telco? Yeah, that, that's a, a great question, Rob. I think I the answer to that is very different at different places inside the organizations. I don't think there's a question in the academic sense that people understand the power of being able to automate operations and cloud is the, the tooling and the disaggregation layer to do that. I think where it becomes complicated, and what one phrase that I hear quite often is that to be successful, cloud is something you do. Cloud isn't something you buy. Yeah. So where the organizational challenges come in an existing operation is more around uh, existing, organi- existing organizational structure and uh, skill sets uh, and uh, people and operational transformation. I so I meet continuously uh, incredibly talented people in all of the companies of telecom, but quite often those talented people are constrained by the organizational yeah. structure they sit in, so they can't do what they know really they need to do. So it has to be a very executive-led transformation, I mm. think. Mm. We've talked a lot about people getting frustrated through lack of empowerment and just not doing what's intrinsically right, and their job is high friction, and, it, and it's that many organizations struggle to turn their governance structure on its head and be able to cope with the new way of empowerment, write the rules down, get your highway code right, and off you go. And I think it feels like, for me, a lot of organizations just don't realize the barrier they, they are holding on to. The prize is massive, isn't it? It's just that they just have to let go of the old. I think a lot of organizations don't realize the scale of transformation that they're going through when they go into cloud. They sort of think it's analogous to another IT program when actually it's it, it's very much more holistic than that usually, isn't it? It's, it's change at your core, isn't it? Change at your core needs to happen to be able to get the results that you talk about, you know, 250 people running a full operation. Yeah. And I think it's almost like goldfish and water, that the goldfish don't see the water they're swimming in. Uh, A lot of the challenges are just in the environment and the atmosphere of how the company does fundamental business. And it's, it's, uh, it's not visible particularly. For example, in, in telecom, it's a, it's a massive investment business. So you're doing one, three, five, ten year investment plans mm, mm. that are significantly hundreds of millions to billions of dollars. Uh, they, they are all structured in vertical stovepipes uh, in terms of budget allocation that gets translated into organizations that spend those budgets. Well, the real transformation that we're talking about is moving those vertical stovepipes into horizontal uh, platform layers of investment. Mm. Uh, and that's why I think a longer, I mean, I don't meet telecoms that that don't have clouds. Telecoms problems is that they have five clouds, six clouds. Yeah. It's yeah, a yeah. suboptimal uh, implementation of the, the you know, horizontal layering. That's the challenge. I think the efficiency requirement and just being more effective in terms of running a network are really clear. How does this relate to the customer experience? What about the customer is driving some of the change also? Well, uh, 
this comes into a bit of a more fundamental uh, question about telecom, I think, where mm. uh, because we upgrade our networks once every 10 years, we're confusing those upgrades with a value proposition to the consumer. I think I think we're seeing that in the returns on the 5G, you know, uh, marketing experiment. Yeah. This might be just my phone or, or my network or whatever, but 5G actually feels slower to me than 4G. Yeah. Uh, and it's all true. The fact that you've got two symbols on your phone, and really they've taken a four and they've made it a five. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's changing the world. It's that adage of a salesman going what you need is a gigabit a second on your phone don't you you really always needed that and you sort of go yes yes that's exactly what i need how about reliable service instead if yeah. only i got that <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what i find now is my 4g's been throttled so the 4g's rubbish because they've given the bandwidth over to 5g and the 5g's rubbish as well the only advantage to 5g that i have actually recognized is when you're at a large stadium gig and there's tens of thousands of people there, mm. and the old mm. cells used to get crowded. 5G can get get more connectivity uh, through, and you can yeah. actually get a WhatsApp message out with the selfie in the stadium job so everybody can see how brilliant your life is. But it's that that is the one angle I've gone, actually, that was a good use of 5G. In returning to the customer experience, what else, Jeff, beyond the you know four to five is going on in terms of changing customer experience in telco? So, well, let's just, uh, it's a really interesting, uh, this is an interesting framing question. That, because I would argue, if we just go back to 5G, I would argue that the customer of 5G are the operators themselves. Mm. They're the customers. It doesn't make any difference to the end user. And it allows the operators to do much better solutions, just like what you were saying, Rob, with the stadium. It allows them to deliver a, a better experience in different environments but it's not a consumer proposition yeah uh where i think cloud revolutionizes the ex the customer experience and it's missing in telco and we, i think this is the big thing we're trying to create is the speed of innovation of new services that you can deploy on a software platform that is cloud mm -hmm. so the, the mistake the telecom industry has made is made the value proposition once every 10 years about something that no one really cares about anymore. Now, if you deploy this, and again, let's go back to our example in Japan, we've really deployed a fully automated edge cloud solution. We have thousands of distributed uh, locations of the cloud that can guarantee incredibly low latency, literally one millisecond to three millisecond latency because that's what's required for the radio software that runs on it. Mm. It copes with really high bandwidth and it's that edge cloud type of platform that's required to support the new wave of use cases that are coming through, such as the real-time support of fleet management, autonomous vehicles, the the overlay of information into distributed manufacturing and, and transportation solutions. But the cloud value is the allowing of the rapid deployment it, using the latest software techniques that everybody is doing. That's where the exciting things are coming, I think. I see. And let's just talk about the cloud infrastructure itself that you're using. So talk about placement strategies. How do workloads work and, and how do you deal with 
sort of public versus private cloud decision making? Yeah, it, it's uh, that's a very good question, and I really like the way that you frame that in terms of placement strategy. I think the best way to view cloud strategies and, and what workloads you should put on uh, public or, or private infrastructure comes down to the actual characteristics of those workloads. So the the simple analogy is that if you if you have a workload that has a really high consistent traffic rate, it's on all the time. If you put that workload on rented infrastructure, even if it's long-term rented infrastructure, you are going to be paying a premium on that uh, that cost. There's a cloud; it's a big economic uh, uh, investment uh, that has to make uh, sense for workloads that are much more variable in traffic load, much more experimental. You you might you you might have one user, you might have ten thousand users. Mm. You're not mm. sure. Then running it on the rental infrastructure until you're confident of of like the the actual economic return is a really good idea and it allows you to do it really quickly. So it, it comes down to uh, the actual characteristics, I think, of the different workloads. And if you get that wrong, cloud is very, very expensive. A lot of internet companies are understanding that now. Yeah, it's that it's that adage that says the product has to fit the platform. They have to work in a harmonious way. And some people shoehorn something into a platform because they think I've already got one. And you go, uh-oh. And then the sparks start flying. It's a common misconception that it's okay to understand that certain things need to work differently together in those scenarios. And it's the ultimate lawyer thing, isn't it? It's, it's if, if you ever ask a lawyer a black and white question, they come back and they say, it depends. I think. It's not a black and white answer. It yeah. depends, which is why it's harder for people to get their heads yeah. around. Roughly, do you have a 60-40, 50-50, split between on and off-prem in terms of how you're seeing the industry settle in its workload placement strategies? Uh, yeah, well, if, if you go specifically into mobile networks, uh, 70 to 80% of the cost for mobile network is, is highly distributed radio network workloads, hmm. distributed unit workloads. You don't want to be renting those out right, onto right. somebody else's hardware. It's uh, If you're paying 30% premium on that, it, it breaks the bank. And, and that's literally what your mobile phone is speaking to, you know, thousands of times a second. Uh, even if you're not on the voice call. What are organizations using for that? Is that like outposts and stack, or is that literally just more traditional server builds? It's more, I mean, we we are, uh, and this is the power of cloud, we we are co-developing with with Intel very closely mm. with uh, just cot, their latest COTS off-the-shelf Intel processors. And they're starting to build in now, this is something that, that will happen at Mobile World Congress Barcelona, but they're launching built-in accelerators into those processors so that they they can actually crunch very high-performance computing algorithms, which is what's required for actually handling the radio uh, wave uh, interpretation. So we have highly optimized that whole stack for the distributed units. Uh, to get the economic right because the scale is so big 
it's such a, a specific use case on such a massive scale. It warrants bespoke hardware designed and be fabricated for exactly that use case. Well, but what we're seeing now is that the advances with Intel and the just the the vector mathematics in the off the shelf. So we're using just COTS off the shelf processors. It's the latest Intel high performance uh, chips that are coming out now, but. What we see, which is maybe an aha moment across all industries, mm. is that the next wave of progress is really the democratization of high-performance computing into enterprises everywhere. So I, whereas in enterprise, I, in enterprise IT up to this point, it was more about systems of record that were we're doing supporting functions in an enterprise. Mm. Increasingly, all enterprises are now using uh, software to be part of the actual business delivery. And is that is that a bit like Formula One drives forward car development? They develop technology um, in Formula One and then it ripples down into the car you buy on the street. Is this telco having a use case working with the chip manufacturers that allows that technology to then be addressable to a much wider audience? It's just that's the fringe use case that's pushing that new style. I've never thought of it that way. I think that's a brilliant analogy. That's the opportunity for telecom because the reason that telecom actually has been historically quite a leader in high-performance computing uh, is because it's had to deal with this incredibly complicated algorithmic translations uh, just to make our mobile phones work. Um, And up to this point, we've always needed to have incredibly bespoke, as you were saying, Rob, uh, specialized hardware that's been expensive. Mm. Now, we can start using off-the-shelf. And the -the off-the-shelf stuff, because it's working for all industries, increasingly is doubling in power again and and is cheaper than doing your own thing, of course, because of the volumes. So it's a perfect storm for telecom if telecom can embrace kind of its modernization of its own business, I think. That's what I was going to exactly come on to next, Jeff, funnily enough, which is, so what are the wider implications of this in telco businesses? So clearly the underlying infrastructure is changing. It is allowing, you know, potentially considerably more automation and therefore like very reduced numbers of humans in terms of running these systems. And presumably that will also bring additional stability with it. But what is it taking in the traditional organizations to actually get to that point? What are the transformational challenges to get to the point that they need to be to be running as a, a, a cloud native? Yeah, I I think uh, the biggest challenge is understanding how you take an existing operation that is uh, uh, has to be highly reliable and and highly present, and it's very complicated, and start introducing pockets of of actual new implementation and migrate from the old to the new. I mean, we, we have a discussion telecom operators invest hundreds of millions of dollars every year continuously and all of those investments we describe them as greenfield in brownfield they're all potentials for doing it a new way Mm. Uh, and when you do it a new way i think one of the challenges is to embrace that when you do it the new way it's not just buying new 
new technology. You have to buy new operational tooling. You have to have people approach building it differently. Uh, I mean, we in Rakuten, so Rakuten is an internet software company. Mm. Uh, if If we go into the history of it, which is quite interesting, they're the Amazon in Japan. Right. Uh, okay. And they digitalized uh, uh, shopping, and uh, that started e-commerce. That was their first business. They've de- taken that blueprint, and they've done it to every single business. I think the, the top three bank, the top three credit card, top three mm. payment, they've done it to 70 different businesses. When they came right. to telecom, it's exactly the same. They just digitalized 100% of how to build a telecom network. Amazing. So we have a blueprint of of everything is automated uh, the uh site build when when we go in and build sites uh, uh we do that inside uh the software platform we have which we call simworld that automatically then drives the procurement of those parts those parts are all digitally inventoried mm-hmm. when we build the site we do a barcode scanner uh, as we install so it automatically updates into the inventory of exactly where all of that supply chain is actually deployed. And then we plug it in. And because we have the full information, it's like a digital twin of the network, it zero-touch provisions. It comes up in four minutes or so. So there's no human in that at all. We do those one a day. We like we can normally, to do a site like that, hmm. you know, it's a couple of weeks, could be three weeks, uh, in Japan, we've optimized it down to literally uh, the installation is uh, streamlined, the physical bit. There's there's no active electronics there, so it's you don't need the labor. And uh, you plug it in and it turns up. And if you were in a, a more traditional telecoms organization, and clearly you're aiming for the sort of cloud-native approach that you've just described in Rakuten, what's the how involved in that? So what are the what are the steps that you would recommend to an organization to step through to try and move to something that's that automated, you know, with very little human touch? Yeah, so it, it's exactly how you start everything. The The biggest barrier with all organizations is just starting and doing it the first time. So we, we go in and we're doing this in, in pretty much every continent now. Uh, uh, we go in and, and we start with maybe five base stations. The great thing about software and automation, and this is the real secret with all of this, once you get it to work once, it works a thousand times, a million times. It is seamlessly scaling if you've got the platform correct. So you you get it to work once. You blueprint it and you repeat it. And what we're finding, by the way, which is makes complete sense if you're not in telecom. Mm. So we're, we did this in Japan. Uh, when we started this in Japan, when nobody thought this was possible, uh, and uh, and we worked through a lot of discovery, this wasn't easy. But now we're doing it in Germany. Uh, the way we're doing it in Germany is is once again kind of a factor better than we did it four years ago in Japan because things have moved on in that time period. This is why telecoms weird. I mean, even the Russians gave up with ten year plans. I mean, we, we really need to give up with this 10-year cadence plan of thinking that we can only change once every 10 years. We need to change every year. But that's a mindset that exists in people who build very complex things like 
planes and whatnot that last might have a lifetime of 30 years. They try and manage their software and platforms and technology in the same life cycle with the same procurement approach, and they get stuck because you have to refresh it, you know, two years, three years and think differently. And the evolution is happening so quickly. And it, and, and there's this, you have to think that, yeah, the plane might survive for 30 years, but the software has a two-year life shelf before we're going to completely refresh it. And it's a, and, and that, that mindset shift to the two worlds can be quite complicated. Yeah. And the, I think that, that approaching a completely vertically integrated one life cycle approach based on your longest life cycle and your biggest risk it's, it's a great analogy again. The, that's when, if everything slows down to the slowest layer of your business, you tend not to innovate very quickly. Yeah. If you de layer up the stack and realize that the, the actual best way to deploy high availability software and cadence is the ability to introduce it in small units and then uh, iterate rapidly and then spread it out rather than a big bang kind of effect, you get some very, very different results. And, and that's where you can start to take part in these customer experiences that at the moment telecom's getting left behind with. Right. So if you were then moving into creating, say, a cloud native network strategy, what are the core components of that for a legacy organization that want to go on the journey that we've been talking about? Yeah, the first place I, I would always start is right at the heart of the operations. I think the first the first place to tackle is is understanding what are the processes to to plan, build and operate the network at the core business level and how can they be moved into a software platform where you slowly start to take the inefficiencies out, either because the manual tasks are getting moved into software that just just repeats and doesn't make mistakes. And there are some tasks that always require humans, but let's coordinate those through business process automation platforms rather than kind of email and Excel spreadsheets. That's the only way where you get rid of the institutional manual kind of labor approach to it. So that's, that's the first step. So the second step, though, that then quickly follows is really this discussion, which is, how do you separate the hardware supply chain, which is a physical cost structure, and how do you optimize, reduce the number of SKUs in that supply chain? So, hmm. I mean, a traditional telecom, one example, a large tier one telecom, I was told, had 480 different hardware form factors in their network. Uh, and each one of those has its own management system, its own mm. supply chain, its own spare parts, its own right. 480. Yeah. Uh, we reckon we can get it down to two. Oh, wow. And that's what AWS has done for IT. So, you know, it's the same. It's that same fleet management, that same industrialized supply chain. The cost structure, in, there's cost savings in that. Just uh, you don't need to have 480 special teams. You haven't got 480 special procurements, contracts. It, it's, it's things like this. This is what I mean that I think if you go into an existing business in any industry, hmm. if you've always had 480 different hardware suppliers, it doesn't feel strange to you because you've learned how to manage it. It's yeah, funny, right. though. Henry Ford kind of worked out that it should always be the same for hyper-efficiency, and he did it like 100 years ago, and people seem to have lost that memory to say, if you want to be hyper-efficient and get the outcome, he, he had very similar thinking to it. You only need one. Hmm. 
yeah. to make it work. Yeah, I'm quite I'm quite impressed with all your automotive analogies today. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> this hasn't happened before. <laughs> Have you just been reading about cars? Yeah, no, I've just been like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the latest book. <laughs> I want to maybe bring today's conversation to a bit of a close by sort of zooming out and comparing the telco journey we've been talking about to other cloud transformations in, in different sectors, do you perceive a great deal of difference between the two? And the, the one thing that's resonating in my head as I ask that question is the culture change element of it. So it must be enormous to go from the sort of organizations that are managing 480 SKUs to managing two SKUs and everything that goes along with that. So draws a distinction, Jeff, in your mind. Like, How does that journey feel in telco versus other sectors i think where telecom maybe is a bit more challenging is that it it is an industry that's run very large-scale high performance infrastructure for a long time Hmm. so the organization is actually designed and scaled to do that task so it has always been a service provider uh, and it's that's very embedded in the identity of all the organizations, much more so than, say, a Walmart or a retail where their core business is selling, you know, selling merchandise. And IT was a support infrastructure to them. And then you move online and it's something new and they become a service provider and now they're automating. So I I think there's less. I think one of the challenges in telecom is that there is a huge amount of institutional competence, skill, and awareness on how complicated it is. So when you try and change that, of course, with a different approach, there is an opportunity to have a lot more insecurity and questions about that. That's all very real. But I I think what we see from Rakuten, and it's a great example, in reality, telecom is no different from any other industry. Every single industry has its own, you know, fears and worries Uh, and i would argue a lot of them the airline industry if you get something wrong a plane drops out of the sky uh if we get something wrong you you have to call somebody again yeah or you you know you don't get your facebook message or your whatsapp selfie from the stadium it's not it's uh it's not the end of the world (laughs) it's uh it's not completely the end of the world yeah and just as a final thought you know because you have the advantage of standing in the future state that a lot of the organizations are trying to get to what one piece of advice would you give to leaders that are managing that change through i'll get there as quickly as possible there there is absolutely the the place the graveyard of companies lies in the people that talk about doing it but don't stop and we're we're heading into uh nothing everything is getting more complicated you cannot do this manually anymore. It's crazy. You can't do it. Uh, it just won't. It won't work. So the number one message that, if I could, magic uh, anything is is to choose a scope that feels safe to you, and do it with a sense of urgency. Even if it's just one base station, do it really, really quickly and see what you learn. Don't do academic you know discussions about what it might feel like Shalk, what you've been looking at this week 
So each week I will do some research on what's trending in tech, and this week I want to focus on the FinOps Foundation. So as its core, FinOps is a cultural practice, a way for teams to manage their cloud costs, where everyone takes ownership of their cloud usage, supported by a central best practices group. So cross-functional teams in, for instance, engineering, in finance, product, they work together to enable a faster product delivery, while at the same time, they are also getting more financial control and predictability. So it's really about bringing a cultural change to the variable spend model of cloud. And I looked at their website and they actually had a very good quote on there. If it seems that FinOps is about saving money, then think again. FinOps is about making money because your cloud spend can drive more revenue. It can increase the number of customers that you have, and it will also enable more product and feature release velocity. And it can even help you shut down a whole data center as well. And FinOps is really about removing blockers, empowering the engineer teams to deliver better results, better features, and also enabling that conversation about where to invest and when to invest. So what is then the FinOps Foundation? It's basically a program that is derived from the Linux Foundation. So it's an open source volunteer program. And it's really dedicated to educate and train people and give them best practices and standards about how to implement FinOps in their organization. So I'm curious, Jeff, do you also enabled or implemented FinOps in your organization? Uh, we have, we absolutely have a very tight control of the whole of the the financial operational cost across uh, all parts of the the industry and all parts of the the network operations. Primarily, that's coming from the fact that we run our whole business off this one platform that that allows us to have the centralized data that we can understand usage kind of investment and placement of workloads. And I'll just call out one other element that you made me think, which is obviously a, a massive hot topic. I don't know if that's, this is true in other industries, but energy usage is becoming a really, really big issue inside what we're doing. And uh, optimizing energy management and energy costs and energy supply uh, through the financial perspective uh, is something I think that we are certainly actively trying to develop that as much as we can. So for me, I, I think we're doing it. I think we can do it a lot better continuously as we uh, move forward. I think that's true of all the things we're doing, if that makes sense. I mean, it's such a critical capability, isn't it? And you see a number of cloud transformations, you know, uh, start complaining about increased cost on the other side of the transformation. And yes, that's e it's an easy trap to fall into if you don't immediately start to build this capability. Oh, you're flying throughout blind, your whole you? yeah. entire organization, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Jeff, you basically say that uh, FinOps also goes hand in hand in hand with sustainability goals. Thousand percent, thousand percent. Yeah. If you can't, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. If you can't manage it, you have no idea. Uh, and the worst place to have no idea is in your economical. Uh, uh, performance apparently <laughs> that's true <laughs> okay so like you already said jeff i would highly recommend everyone to take a look at what that finops foundation has to offer and uh, maybe follow some trainings or get some certifications 
uh, on how to implement this in your organization in all way and also increase the awareness across each and every layer. Thanks, Shalk. A critical topic, I agree. Uh, no matter what stage of your transformation you're in, that should be part of your first phase is getting your controls sorted out for landing on the other side. So yeah, very pertinent topic. Jeff, we end every episode of this show by asking our guests what they're excited about doing next. That could be, you know, a good restaurant you've got booked at the weekend or something interesting coming up, like a conference. What are you excited about doing next? I'm excited about sleeping at the moment. That's what excites me the most. I, we are two weeks before the Mobile World Congress Barcelona. Part of the role that we're trying to provide is completely sharing everything that we have implemented and the results, and then also discussing the challenges in doing this. So if anyone is interested in learning more, then please just either reach out to me or come see us at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. And we're more than happy to give you the full, you know, dirty secrets behind the curtain. Yeah. And are you going to the show? Are, are you going to be I that person? I do have to go to the show, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like you're thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, no, we are, and if uh, it's it's a great experience, it's a blast for a week, and then you know, yeah, you, you suddenly realise you how long you've been running. Yeah, it, like it, it's exhausting, isn't it? Particularly when you've got jet lag in the mix, and then you're going out with like customers or colleagues every evening, and you just get to the end of four days, and it's like you've been at a music festival or something like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My happiest, usually at some point, if you really want to find me, go and look in some bar that's like hidden away from from anywhere. And I'll just be at the bar enjoying my own company with a beer on my own. (laughs) (laughs) On that note. A huge thanks to our guest this week, Jeff. Thank you so much for being on the show. To our sound and editing wizard, Ben, and of course, to all of our listeners. We're on LinkedIn and Twitter, Dave Chapman, Rob Kernahan, and Xiao Kizal. Feel free to follow or connect with us and let us know if you have any ideas for the show. And of course, if you haven't already done that, rate and subscribe to our podcast. See you in another reality next week.